the last words of the well-known Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, uh, who wrote the books of Saints Everlasting Rest and was known as the man who preached as a dying man to dying men, very well known. His last words were these, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. See, the key to his life was this complete submission to the will of God. George Truett was a great Baptist preacher, and in the closing months of his life, he began to suffer from a disease that was very painful. He suffered greatly through it. And uh, that was in 1944. And with this condition, he thought he should resign from the pastorate there, the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. But the church refused to permit it. That 47-year relationship was dissolved only in death. But not long before Dr. Truett's death, arrangements were made uh, back in those days for him to speak uh, through a telephone. Uh, and they had speakers there in the auditorium. And he didn't complain at all as he preached the Word of God, but he continued to repeat over and over this refrain, be true to Christ, be true to Christ. And this makes me think of Joshua just before his death, his final words, which were really a charge to this generation that had been with Joshua as to their need, could I say, to rekindle their passion for God. Turn with me to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. We're going to quickly go through a number of verses here that deals with the importance of God listening to God's challenge to His people. And God does have a challenge to us in each age. And we find this laid out very clearly here. Now this generation had had the tremendous joy of seeing God work. The previous generation had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. This younger generation had come and they chose to uh, obey God and to believe God that He could overcome the Canaanites. And so they come into the land. They saw miracle after miracle, stones from heaven uh, cast upon the enemy. The sun and the moon stand still. I mean, those are great miracles. And uh, God just wiped out the Canaanites all throughout that region. And uh, these were men that had put their full faith in God and were men that uh, believed God and were obeying Him. But it's been 25 years probably around that time since those events. In chapter 23, which opens up all of this uh, section, um, mentions, and it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. So it gives us a little idea of the timing here. And so these last uh, couple of chapters were a final charge to this generation. And thankfully this generation took a hold of the challenge but unfortunately did not pass it on to the next but it did make a difference for a while. And so it's one that I think we need to take very seriously in our day. If you look with me now at verse 14 of chapter 24, he's speaking here to all of Israel gathered before him. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. That means completely and in truth with your whole heart. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Very clearly you see that God was bringing through the testimony and preaching of Joshua the leader, he was bringing these people to a point of decision. No decision is a decision. When God clearly commands worship and surrender and trust in himself and according to what his word has said and we ignore choosing to do that, we have chosen not to do that. So every Israelite was at a point of key commitment at this time. And first of all, we see is this obligation to God uh, that we need to understand that God deserves our full-hearted submission to His will. And we need to then fear the Lord. You know, it's right at the beginning of verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. That's the attitude of awe and filial reverence. Not dread, now obviously those who are opposed to God should dread the power of God in his person. But we should have an awe of our God, a, uh, just a warm but very real reverence. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God. My friends, we will never make decisions that will last if we only are making what seems like good decisions for us. The decisions that matter are because we understand the greatness of our God, who He is, and our obligation to Him. My friends, we need to, of all people, fear God. We know who God is. The Word of God is absolutely sufficient and complete in the revelation of the greatness of our God. You cannot go anywhere in nature. As we've seen what was pretty much a barren uh, landscape two weeks ago just flourish into all the green and all the beauty. Folks, there's a God in heaven. That, that didn't just happen, by the way. Uh, there was a God that created the heavens and the earth. The, the uh, stars and the universe display his majesty and his glory. And so uh, we need to have a heart of appreciation, of an understanding of who our God is, the greatness of our God. As we think about what he expects of us, we've got to get our eyes off of how it can benefit us. And, you know, it can even be a good benefit of God giving us blessing. But we've got to get our eyes off of what God can do for me and realize what a great God I have and what, is, what glorious things He has done for us. Uh, some years ago, a number of years ago, a policeman walked, uh, walking his beat in Chicago observed a man standing before a little building and his, with bared head. He thought he was acting a little bit different. Uh, he's either sick or drunk, he concluded. And uh, eyeing the man suspiciously, he walked up to him, and this was back in, those, uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, What's the matter, Mac? Sick? Well, the man opened his eyes and smiled. No, officer, my name's Bill Sunday. I was converted right here in that little mission. I never come by here that I don't take off my hat and say a prayer. 
The cop grinned and reached a big hand to Billy and said, Harley, put, put it there, Bill. I've heard about you. He was a great evangelist by this time. He was a famous uh, baseball player. Uh, you keep right on with your prayer and I'll keep the crowd away. But there's that appreciation, that fear of God, that understanding of what God has done for us. It's no accident that God was able to take someone like Billy Sunday and use him in such a great and marvelous manner. And so, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity. Serve Him completely, fully, with nothing left out, and in truth, according to what the Word of God said. Complete, whole, sound is the idea. Nothing should be left out. We need to realize that God wants us. He gave everything for us. We need to give everything to Him. I had the privilege years ago of meeting Joseph's son, who was the leader of the Baptist in Romania uh, when uh, uh, under the awful dictatorship, communist dictatorship of uh, uh, Ceausescu. And he was, uh, had to leave for a while Romania. He had been imprisoned and, and uh, he was often summoned before the government. They tried everything to break him. And once he was being interrogated, an officer threatened the killing. Sir, he replied, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons are on tape and have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen again to what this man preached because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir... My sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. <laughs> uh, and by the way, when I heard him preach, uh, he was this kind of man, powerful. And, he, and I'll never forget when he preached in our church, he said, you Americans waste your suffering. God's trying to do something in your lives. And by the way, we need to take hold of that in our day. The officer sent him back home. But you see, a man like that can give that kind of testimony because he wasn't living for himself. He had taken this kind of charge that Joshua was giving the people of Israel that with full, wholehearted, complete submission to God, based upon the truth about who God truly is, he was going to serve God. That was what life was about. That's the fear of God. That's a pretty, pretty major concept, isn't it? Paul had the same kind of heart, Romans 1.9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. In other words, God's witness, that I'm completely all in. And because of that, I'm praying all the time. I mean, my life is given to this matter of the furtherance of the gospel. And so the truth had caused them to... Uh, he was saying because of the truth and to do this you need to put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord now it's very interesting he mentions the gods on the uh, other side of the river he's speaking of back when Abraham was in, in the area of what is now Babylon and uh, there in the fertile crescent those gods had, had lingered for a while and then the gods of the Egyptians, and we read of those. 
And uh, he said, you've got to put all of that away. You can't have any part of the world in your life if you're going to be able to completely uh, surrender to me. Folks, the big thing that holds us back is not idols as such. And that, by the way, it wasn't the idols. It was the lifestyle that went with the idols. The freedom that it gave the people there to live just the normal life that a human being would want to live. James 4.4 in the New Testament makes it very clear, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the victory? I mean to envy. He, there's that battle spiritually. And so what holds us back is the world. Now let me just make a statement for us to meditate on. He was saying a decision has to be made. If we just aren't willing to truly trust God on what's most important, then clearly some aspect of worldly philosophy has gotten our heart. I mean, you cannot go one way, you can't be in the middle on these things. You have to make a decision. We make it every day. We make it every hour. What are we living for? What truly is the God of our life? Remember, the idols of our life are the things that we depend upon to meet our needs, to make us happy, to make life worthwhile. And so if it isn't God primarily and therefore our life because of the fear of God is being transformed because of that and we're living with the joy of the Lord because we have a walk with Him and we're accomplishing His purpose, if it's not that, then we're depending on something else and it can be all kinds of things. It's very, it's very uh, uh, subtle sometimes. But folks, the world, and you're seeing it today, secular culture is no friend of God. There is a direct frontal attack. But we shouldn't be surprised. We all are familiar with the Beatles of the 60s. And John Lennon, who was the leader of that group, he uh, told the London reporter, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. Well, he's gone. And we're here worshiping Jesus. But that's the world. That's certainly a very blunt and blatant, but that comes out of that kind of a heart. H.I. Uh, Ironside, remember one time he was preaching in Stockton, California, and after the service, right when he was praying, he heard the swishing. This was way back when uh, some of the dresses would make a, a loud noise, and just boom, 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 somebody was obviously leaving fast and very obviously. Well, it was a a fairly wealthy lady in the back and she was pacing back and forth in the lobby and uh, he comes up and he said how do you how do you dare pray like this he had prayed come lord jesus that's why she had left i don't want him to come it would break in on all my plans how dare you <laughs> pretty open about her worldliness i said my dear young woman jesus is coming whether you like it or not oh if you know him and love him surely your heart says come lord jesus but I'm telling you, there's a lot of believers that it isn't come Lord Jesus. Now, some struggle because they want to see souls saved. But I'm talking about the fact of all the plans we have that are horizontal. They are not vertical, so to speak. They're part of this temporal age in which we live. 
And I want to give one quote here that I think it really does identify how subtle this is. Woodstra says, This antithetical nature of Israel's relationship to the Lord must also be kept in mind when reading the laws of the Pentateuch. Whatever resembled an alliance other than that with the Lord, be it in the matter of dress, sacrificial practices, common mores, and the like, was forbidden. Some things prohibited by the law were not necessarily immoral when viewed by themselves, but their connection with the cultists of foreign gods rendered them unusual, unusable for Israel. Ever wonder why some of the laws were there? It was because they were connected with pagan worship. God doesn't want us to have any worship of this world, its system, or its lifestyle. Folks, we are pilgrims and strangers. Now, when you're saved, you're that whether you like it or not. You have become a child of God. You are part of the kingdom of God. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Aren't you glad you're not? But we struggle. Our flesh likes the world. And Satan is constantly attacking us. So, folks, we have an obligation to serve the Lord. And I want us to see here that we've got to learn our dependence upon God. Very interesting few verses. Let me read them here. Verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through which through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? And it was good. There was an enthusiastic response here. They, they were the generation that knew that God meant what He said. Most of them had seen it with their eyes. It wasn't far enough back that they had forgotten uh, they knew that, that the Lord uh, would not uh, fail them. And so they responded by making a commitment. By the way, it is important to make that kind of commitment. David Livingston writes early in his diary, I have found that I have no unusual endowments of intellect, but I this day resolve that I will be an uncommon Christian. See, that kind of resolve makes all the difference. But there is very much the tendency to be self-willed and self-dependent. And Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, and I, I admire him for this, and he was very, uh, had an infectious type of personality, especially in tight situations. When he took over the defeated British forces in Africa during World War II, he said, it's a sad thing. He remarked to General Ismay that a professional soldier can reach the peak of his generalship and then suffer a reverse which ruins his career. Don't be depressed, said Ismay. It may be that you will win, though. My dear fellow, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about Rommel, <laughs> you know, the leader of the Nazi forces. Well, that was quite a, you know, confident, maybe arrogant, and he did prove to go ahead. But that kind of human response can get people in trouble. Let me tell you, there's not a man and woman in here that is a match for the world, the God of this world. And our flesh will lose if we're just enthusiastically 
uh, remembering, and it's good for us to remember. I mean, I'm glad they made this statement, but we're going to see here in a moment how Joshua reacted to it. We can make a great decision and think, oh, yes, this is good. God's done it. And, uh, but we need to realize the sobering reality. Look at verse 19. Isn't this an amazing response of Joshua? And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord. Whoa. For he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, and he'll turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. Well, that was a stinger, wasn't it? This is, of course, the Spirit of God is, is uh, causing him to respond. He evidently heard human dependence and lack of complete sincerity in their response. You know, crowds can go wild very fast, and they can turn on you in a split second. And Joshua had been around a long time. Remember, Joshua had walked with Moses through all the wilderness wanderings. He was no naive young man. He is an older man who has been through it and knows the whims and the unbelief of people, and he sensed their human perspective. And basically what he's saying, you can't do it. You're going to go back to the gods. You're going to cave in with this kind of an attitude. We often quote John 15, 5, when the Lord so graciously before he went to the cross explained to them that he, they would have a oneness of life with him after he had completed the great work on the cross and he gives that beautiful picture of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth remaineth in that wonderful unity in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And let me just camp on this for just a moment. One of the dangers, as we're going to give you an opportunity to make a commitment, one of the dangers is in a crowd... And with some enthusiasm. Listen, what I preached about God, unless you're anti-God, everybody here agrees with me, right? We need to fear God. And there, well, there's no, there was no, no resistance whatsoever. We all know he deserves us. We all even know that we ought to surrender to him, though we may not be doing it. And so, yes, we will do that. And then in the back of our minds, we say we're going to fail. Back of our minds, well... Maybe I can hang in there for six weeks. No, you see, we need to realize we can't do it. But my friends, this is God's will for us to meet with him and to get out the gospel. This, this commitment I'm asking you to is not a unique commitment. It is only an opportunity for us as people to pray for one another and make a decision to serve the Lord for a period of time so that God can work in our lives. But it simply puts us where we need to be all the time. Not a temporary type of emphasis. It's just a, an encouragement to all of us. But my friends, God's grace is enough. He has great grace. As I spoke to the men yesterday morning, I talked about the fact that we are more than conquerors in him. 
God is able to give you that liberty in your soul, that life and that power. And as you meet with him, it, you spiritually realize who God is and you fear him and you let him lead you and encourage you and he overcomes the fear. He guides you in the matter of reaching people and, and it's just one of the most glorious things when you get out of yourself and depend only upon God. That's the Christian life. So this is quite a statement here by Joshua as God's leading him here. He's giving this message to them. They must understand humanly they don't have the power. Now what's the whole context here? Don't compromise with the world or you won't keep the commitment. That's what he says back in verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. And again for us that's just living according to the uh, the different lifestyle of typical secular worldly lifestyle. Not necessarily horrible things, but just living for this world. If you do that, you're not going to win these other areas. You're not going to have a heart to meet with God. It's going to be pure duty. Going out soul winning will be just pure, I've got to do it. Now God will use the gospel. But friends, there's got to be that wholehearted, I'm turning my back on what I'm depending upon for my happiness. And I truly believe that walking with God is where the genuine life is found. And it really is, folks. It really is. God says it over and over. This is Old Testament. It's much clearer in the New Testament. And we need to realize. So our allegiance needs to be to our God. Notice verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. This evidently had a better ring to it. I think that must have stung them. No, you're not going to do it. And this time coming back with a little more integrity of heart, they said, but we will serve the Lord. And this generation that outlived Joshua did. Not to the degree maybe they should have, but they did. I think a lot of it's these two messages that Joshua gave to them saved the day. Because they were still surrounded because of lack of full obedience by some of the pressures of the pagan Canaanites there in that area. And so the key here was that they made a public declaration. And uh, as one writer said, God has no policeman to pass around and grab us by the neck and say you must read your Bible or you must go to church or you must give to missions. When God created man, he made man superior to all other creatures. He gave man the power and privilege of choice. Up to now, the Lord respects that privilege. He will not force us. With that privilege of choice goes the terrible responsibility of abiding by the results or consequences of our choice. choices. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us let us, there it is, there's the choice. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I like what one country pastor said when asked to explain the doctrine of how God allows us to make choices. He said, brethren, it's this way. The Lord is always voting for a man. And the devil, he is always voting against him. Then the man himself votes and that breaks the tie. Not sure how doctrinal completely that is, but it gives you the idea. God is 100% for you. Satan's 100% uh, against you, but Satan's a defeated foe. 
All you have to do is believe God and say, Lord, I'm all in. He loses. God wins. And so do you. Choice. You were saved by faith. You grow by faith. Faith is a choice of the will. It is depending upon God's word, God's way, rather than our way and our thinking and what the world says. So it's a choice. And so he goes on, verse 22, And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. How public they are, they were not ashamed of that. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and took a great stone and set it up there under the oak, an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. And so there is something about being clear, public declaration and a public removal of the world from our lives. Romans 13, 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Dr. F.B. Meyer tells of going to a Salvation Army meeting a century and a half ago. And it was announced there was going to be an exhibition of idols there at that uh, meeting. And so he was expecting to see a bunch of pagan idols from different continents there. But instead he had, saw eight young men step up uh, to the rear of the platform and returned, each bearing a large sheet of cardboard. Now you've got to remember what day this was. Uh, one card was covered with pipes, cigars, tobacco, another with jewelry, feathers, ribbons, and uh, uh, poker cards and all kinds of stuff. You know, those were the battles of that day. But it's interesting, that was the idolatry. Simply speaking of the world and the things of this world that keep us back from what's important. What uh, do you think we might put up there? Smartphones? Video games? Streaming services? Different things we want to buy, things we want to have in our life, fun activities. Some of these things are just fine. They're neutral, but they become an idol. Could be a lot of other things. We can have things that are really good become idols. But Joshua uh, made a clear covenant and a monument, and we need to make a very clear decision and monument in our hearts, set it up. Say, Lord, meeting with you is no option. And I'm willing to be public to start off with. I want to spend that time with the Lord. I don't want anything to keep back. Anything that keeps me back from spending time with you is really that which Satan is using. And I want to do the basics by your power to get out the gospel. Folks, I would encourage you to make the same statement 
that Joshua made right there at the beginning of this address. As for me and my house, we're going to serve Jehovah. As for me, I'm going to serve my God. I'm going to be all in. Let's bow for prayer.